our Lord and our God, there are times when songs bring to our minds images that cause us to almost not be able to sing the song. We see in Your Word the description of Your willing sacrifice for our sin. But we can't even begin to imagine the images that took place that day. We are grateful, O Lord our God, for You sending to us Your Son in order that He may willingly give of His life so that we may eternally live. And that transaction takes place simply by trusting and believing in You and You alone, Lord Jesus, that Your payment is enough in order to meet the righteousness of God. That whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's why we're here this morning to remember to come to the table in order that we may be together as a family worshiping You and thanking You for all that You've done for us. We lift up to You this morning, Lord, Marlene Smeltz. Her anticipation of still meeting with doctors looms on the horizon. Anticipation of surgery, of recuperation, all of that weighs on her mind, but yet at the same time, her heart is settled upon You. I pray, Lord, that You would give the doctors wisdom and also guide their hands if surgery is imminent. And may Marlene and Will, Lord, be shrouded by Your presence and warmed by the very truth of Your grace and mercy. Bless them this day. We also ask, Lord, for others in our congregation that are presently fighting illnesses, flus and colds, or some of the minor things, but yet when you're going through them, they're not very minor at all. Other situations are more drastic, but yet, Lord, I thank You that whether it is a cold or flu or a drastic health situation, You're still there. Lift them, Lord, by Your grace and for Your mercy that Your name would be glorified. I praise You, Lord, this morning again for this opportunity to gather here to look into Your Word, to be reminded, also to anticipate and be actively in the act of remembrance. Be reminded of what You've done for us. 
And I pray, Lord, that our hearts again would be warmed to realize that what you have given to us has eternal implications. And may you, Lord, guide our thoughts and the intents of our hearts this day. Lord, speak to us from your word. Show us, O oh Lord God, what you, it is that you want us to know. Reveal to us, O oh Lord God, things that we need to blend into our, our lives and our souls that we can honor you. And again, we'll be careful to praise you. And ask, Lord, those things that we do not know, you will make plain. Those things that we need, you will freely give. All that your name will be honored in all things. And we praise you and thank you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, the opening 13 verses direct us to the following passage. In, in the first 13 verses, Jesus is instructing His disciples into a task that He wants them to perform. The task has to do with the Passover celebration the performance of that, as Jesus sent two of his disciples, we believe that to be Peter and John, as he sent them, they were to find an individual who was outside of the city wall gathering water, and they were to ask him for a room that the Master needs. And Jesus told them that this individual is there and he's going to give you or direct you to that particular room. And then when you get to that room, spend time in preparing for the Passover meal. After the preparations, we find ourselves in an interesting statement in verse 14. For the statement says... When the hour had come. When the hour had come. It's an interesting statement because from this statement there are a couple of applications that we can draw from concerning that phrase, the hour had come. We know that it can refer to a specific time. A specific, if you will, time of an event that was to take place. Namely, the Passover meal. But it also can be in reference to an unbelievable accomplishment. In the Apollo 13 movie, there's an interesting phrase that the commander of the flight crew on the ground as he is trying his best to get the astronauts back home. When everyone else thought that it was going to be impossible, he came up with this beautiful line which says, you never know that this could be our finest hour. An accomplishment 
that no one else thought could happen, he was confident that it was going to take place. What we have here in this passage, though, in that opening statement of Luke 22, verse 14, is both of those applications. It is a very specific time. The hour had come. Now you might remember the Scriptures tells us, specifically like in John chapter 7 and verse 30, there was a group of individuals who wanted to kill Jesus. But he walks through them and he says, my hour has not yet come. The specific time of that is not for mankind to determine. That specific hour has been already been determined by God, and it wasn't to happen at that point, but apparently it happens now. The hour had come. In relevance to this, though, as far as the miraculous, if you will, event, in reference to the Passover meal, God instituted that way back in Exodus chapter 12, giving direction to Moses as to the event that was about to happen. God was going to take the nation of Israel out of bondage and set them free. And it was to be done on a particular day, a very specific day, the first month of the new year of the Jewish calendar. There's an automobile company that has stolen the name. It's called Nissan. No, Jesus is not putting stock in an automobile company. That's the first month of the Jewish calendar. It was to be a very specific day, a very specific time that the event was to take place. But also with that was very specific instructions in order to have it become a very miraculous event. The instructions were that the Passover lamb was to be taken for four days into a home and there prepared. And on the fourth day, which would be on the 14th day, the lamb was to be taken in the home on the 10th day of the first month of the new year, and on the 14th day, that lamb is to be killed in order that the blood from that lamb could be placed on both the doorposts and on the top so that the Passover of the death angel would see that and everyone in the household would remain safe. It was that event that transformed what thought everyone thought was impossible became possible. They were leaving slavery to go to a place that God was going to take them. And so here we have in Luke chapter 22 and verse 14, both a specific hour because Passover was to be take, partaken of at twilight. Anticipation of something that's going to happen. And Jesus, the Passover lamb, as John describes him in John chapter 1, in verse, in verse 17, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And so we have our Passover lamb who is in the Passover feast in Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. That's setting the stage. That's what it's all about. But in quite frankly, prior to the time of the Scripture, events of Jesus' life, His ministry on earth is about to come to an end. But His ministry on the cross is about to begin. And so what we have is in this particular passage of Luke chapter 22 at 14 down to verse 23 is the events that are leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Prior to Jesus being betrayed, beaten, tried, and then crucified, in verse 15, Jesus makes another startling announcement. He says, I desire longly to partake of this with you. Speaking to his disciples. It was his passion to be with them at the very last Passover that he himself, while on earth, would be a partaker in. And so now in verse 20, the Lord Jesus said, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The mention of a new covenant presupposes an old covenant. The word covenant is a word that God uses to describe His relationship with His people. A covenant is a spiritually binding relationship that God has with His people, bringing them into the full benefits of His kingdom. The old covenant was the law of Moses that God gave to Israel. The new covenant is a covenant of grace that God has given to the church. And so this new covenant is based on God's relationship with the church through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, it says these words, And for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So when Jesus celebrates his last Passover with his disciples, He takes the elements of the Passover and fulfills them by directing these elements to represent His pending sacrifice. He does this because He is the Lamb of God who is sacrificed for the payment of our sin. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul says, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. 
So with that in mind, this morning I want to highlight three significant biblical applications that are met at the communion table. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, there's a thought of past, present, and future application which believers are drawn to hold fast to. The first application is past. In other words, when Jesus Christ allowed His body to be beaten and His blood to be shed, the payment for our sins was complete. And as present believers, we look back to what Jesus Christ did for us. And as He died upon the cross, that satisfied the requirements of God in order to bring about forgiveness for sin. In Romans chapter 8 and verse or 5, excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says these words, but God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So in order for an individual to be saved, that individual must look back to the cross and realize that what Jesus Christ did for us back there is good enough to pay for our sins today. The transaction from being unsaved to being saved is sealed with the action of belief. The Scripture says that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And they answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So the elements remind us of the past, the day in which we who were lost are now found. May I ask you a question? Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven. That's a past application. Anchored in the Baltimore Harbor, there's a USS submarine called the the Turek. The Turek was commissioned during the World War II, and its main mission was to intercept and destroy supply lines that would feed the enemy. The USS Torek sank three Japanese supply ships, and and in its decommission, it was given two stars from the President of the United States. What's interesting, or what makes the USS Torek interesting is that, and makes it unique, is that it only lost one sailor during its time in battle. It happened on a day when the USS Torek was cruising the Pacific Ocean, when all of a sudden the alarm for submerging came, and all of the soldiers but one, all of the sailors but one, got in back into the submarine. We don't really know why. No one has really been able to figure it out because the sailor was trained that 
he knew that at this particular sound, you had better get into the submarine. Battle stations was the call. But for some reason, the last latch was closed and sealed, and he was left outside. And the USS Torg submerged, causing him, this individual, to drown. The only one sailor that the USS Torg lost. I say that, dear people, because of this. You can have all the knowledge you want. You can even be on top of a submarine. But if you don't get in the submarine when it submerges, you're not going to make it. You can know a lot of things about Jesus Christ. You can walk and you can quote Scripture, and you can sit in the pew in the church, but I'm here to tell you, if you're not in Jesus Christ, there's no hope. And that's part of looking past. We look back to the cross of Jesus Christ and know full well that in order to be in Christ and safe from the storm, We need to believe and trust in Him. Have you done that? The second application is this. We look to the present. What's interesting about the present is that the transaction of the past is what sustains us in the present time. To fully know and understand that when Jesus Christ spoke the words, do this in remembrance of me, what he was saying, each time we partake of these elements, the covenant that God has made with us through the finished work of Jesus Christ will never fade away. In other words, we are saved now as we were when we first believed in Jesus Christ. In fact, Another added benefit of the present application is that once what I was once, I am no longer. Pastor, what are you talking about? Uh, Let me explain what I mean by this. The Apostle Paul writes for us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And when we partake of these elements, we are reminded of the fact that what Jesus Christ did to provide the way of salvation is also enough to provide a way to keep us saved. We can't add anything to be saved, and we can't any, add anything to remain saved. It's finished and complete in Jesus Christ. But let me interject something here though. Seeing that we have been saved past, we now enter into the present of what is known as being saved. What do you mean by that? We are being saved from the chains of sin that desire to enslave us. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ, sin no longer is our master because we have been set free in order to be free. 
sin can only have from us what we're willing to give it. Satan himself can only have from us what we're willing to give to him. In Jesus Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin, Romans chapter 6. For we have been set free, present. You've got past, we were saved from the penalty of sin. Presently, we are being saved from the power of sin that can no longer rule or reign over us. But that brings us to the third application, the future. The Apostle Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Jesus said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the, 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 the cup, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. Future. We were saved from the penalty of sin. Presently, we're being saved from the power of sin. And I need to tell you, dear people, one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. (laughs) I contemplate periodically as we're sitting in the living room up at the parsonage that, that Nancy will say, look at that sunset. Isn't it gorgeous? And it is. It is probably one of the most beautiful things I've seen in that day other than my wife. Can I get an amen? But it is still tainted by sin. Sin still has its reign. All of creation was tainted by sin. Even the most beautiful sunrise or sunset is tainted by sin. And I can't imagine how much more beautiful that can be when sin is eradicated. The most magnificent flight of an eagle is still tainted by sin. The most beautiful display of the fall colors on the hillside is still tainted by sin. Because our eyes are tainted by sin. But one day, dear people, that's all going to go. Because sin can't even get into the presence of God. And when Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you destroy the Lord's death till He comes. When He comes, dear people, we shall be saved from the very presence of sin. It's gone. Hallelujah. And so these elements this morning, as Jesus, as He sat with His disciples in Luke chapter 22, He reminds them of this not about the Passover anymore. It's about a relationship with me, Jesus Christ. For he said, this bread 
is my body, which is broken for you. And he took it and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said to his disciples, take, eat. Then the very last cup of the Passover celebration, Jesus breaks rank and He said, no longer does this cup refer to a ceremony, now it points to a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is Me. For Jesus said, this cup now is My blood. And the new covenant comes from it. Take it. Partake of it. And remember, do this in remembrance of me. Past, present, and future. These elements are a wonderful reminder. A reminder, reminder so di- dog, dynamic that it, we reflect and then we rejoice. So now, it's time to come to the table. I'm going to call the men who are going to be serving these elements. If you would prepare yourselves. Our Father and our God, as we come to this table, may we remember past. May we reflect present. May we rejoice future. For this, these elements, and remembering of what You've done for us, past, present, and future, is what we rejoice in. As we come to the table, O Lord, may we rejoice in You. And we'll praise You in Your name. Amen. Gentlemen, will you come please?